Hi there, everyone. This is Jason Velasco, and welcome to this edition of Out of Curiosity. And uh, I wanted to introduce everyone to someone that has crossed my path that uh, I have uh, wanted to adopt into our organization for quite some time. Uh, like it, this is a little bit outside our normal e-discovery information governance bubble, um, but uh, but part of our part of a goal that we want to try to do in Out of Curiosity is really showcase um, some of the, the the amazing you know women that uh, I've I've had the opportunity to to work with in the last few years and really share their insight and help them kind of mentor um, other women in the space. So something that's really important to me from an out of curiosity perspective to, you know, really ask those kind of questions. So let me introduce everyone to someone that has actually recently joined our team um, over at Condado, um, Carolyn Hamilton. Hi, Carolyn. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Jason? I'm doing wonderful. So um, you have recently started working with us as the um, as, as an academic um, um, ad, ad, academic program manager, and I know that uh, you've you've had a really interesting background. And before we get into what you're doing with us, I, I'd like to dig a little bit in terms of just um, uh, you know a little bit about your background. Would you would you be okay with us sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, let's dive into it. All right. So. If I remember correctly in our conversations, you grew up in beautiful Athens, Georgia. I did. I did. Home of the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> well, I as as a as a as a as a music person, I think of it as the home of the B fifty two. Well, it's that yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's amazing. So, I mean, and so you grew up in Athens, and then you ended up, you know, going to school in Georgia, right? And so, um, where did you go to school there? I went to school in Georgia College and um, State University is what it's called now, but Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia. Okay. And what did you study there? Well, science. I was a science major from the get-go. Um, that was that was what really intrigued me was learning how things work in the human body. Okay. So I, I guess we're going to have to get to how does this start delving into technology? But I, I mean, know, right? That's like a left turn, isn't it? It is, but that's that's not uncommon for at least the people that I've 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 encountered in the past. I mean, I've I've done plenty of left and left turns and upward turns and things like that. But I was, I was you know, I remember when I was introduced to you, you know, it was coming from the technology context, and someone had mentioned to me that you actually had a PhD in neuro, neurophysiology. So, what is neurophysiology for those that aren't familiar with it, and so, how did it turn into from biology? I know, right? So, um, yes, I do. I have a PhD in neurophysiology. So, when I completed my bachelor's degree at Georgia College and State University, I then moved to the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So, I just moved a little west and uh, completed that degree. And what that degree really is is understanding how we um, process information. That's learning, learning at the cellular level. And, and it's individuals that study how those, how cells talk to one another, how um, different um, connections occur. So, so that's truly what neurophysiology is. My specialty, though, was at the level of learning and memory. So I was really interested at the cellular level, how we learn and process information. Hmm. And that, that little nugget that I've been able to continue as a thread throughout my, my career. 
Okay. So, wow. I mean, that to me is, you know, I mean, it sounds like all the behavioral things that we're doing. I, I, I think right before we jumped on, I, I had to shut down something because I was getting little dings. And I said, you know, that's, I'm now, you know, my, yeah. I'm now wired almost Pavlovian <laughs> to look down at my screen when I hear a ding. Is, yeah. is that part of what you were really studying? Yeah. So, so part of it is attention, right? Our ability to, to process information. So we are constantly receiving information in a multi-sensory um, effect, right? It's, it's coming in what we touch, what we see, what we feel, what we hear, um, and how we assimilate that information, make decisions about that information, and then respond to that information. All of that comes into that learning process. And yes, that, that is, that is very much some of the information that I was looking at. Some of the, if you want to put an extra little ring around it, I was learning, I was looking at how different hormones throughout the body can impact how we are able to learn and process information. So I had a whole other level to it. So not just understanding at the basic level, but also how could our hormones impact it? So yeah. All right. So um, we've had a lot of changes and I mean, and, and I, I'm, I'm a generation X, I won't call out what generation you are, but I am clearly a generation X. And I think we're, 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 we have a very unique position in terms of we were smack dab in our, in our development cycle of going from an analog to a digital society. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I talk to my kids about what a rotary phone is or, you know, what a Rolodex is and they have no concept. And, and how, how has technology modified our brains over the last 15 years? Yeah, that one's one's a really good um, question. So I've actually looked at this within the context of the basic science literature and also looking at it within the educational context. And while technology does give us a multisensory approach, right? Not only are we able to apply information that we're learning, we're assimilating it in a multisensory effect, but our response to that technology, because we're receiving that information in such a very quick time span, our expectation is that all information will be re- will be delivered to us in a very truncated period of time. So it's impacting our attention spans. So as, as developers, as educationists, any, anyone that's trying to, to develop tools that can really engage in the learning process, we have to be mindful that the attention span is truncated because of how technology has opened up this window into how easily we can receive information through that interface. So how is that, I mean, in, in the true Darwinian sense, how are we adapting to that? And what's the long-term adaptation potential? Well, I think I think that's the the great question. I don't really know what the next step is, right? I think that's actually what's cool to, to kind of watch. We're not looking at something that's just a short-term change in how technology is going to be developed. I think we're actually looking at how, te- how technology is going to be deployed over the next 5, 10, 15, 25 years, you're looking at an evolution of what technology is really going to be. If technology is really going to be an additive support, if it's really going to be there to augment the existing processes, then it's it's got to be something that we can leverage. Um, and for that to be effective, then we have to engage it in a multi-sensory level. So, so let me let, let me let me ask this because I, I'm I've you know we have so much tech we have so much data and information that is constantly being thrown at us, and and this is one that I struggle with in terms of you can't 
comprehend or grok, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use to, to do it all. And so you're trying to pick up in snippets. Is this preventing us as, as a, as a species from actually being able to go deep at any technical level, whether it's relational technology uh, or any of those type of things, are we getting wired now to where we actually can't go deep on something? It kind of makes you wonder, right? So, so if our expectation is, is that we're going to see the gamut, right? We're going to see everything all in front of us. Then are we able to really take those dives deep into it? And, and I, I think the question is, is still out on that one. I, I, I do. Um, what I can tell you is our, as we're considering technology and organizing architecture, nomenclature, and how you're, you're really considering your taxonomy within those technology environments that less clicks is better, right? The, the less clicks in order to get to information, the better off you, you are. The more explicit, the easier it is to use tools where individuals don't necessarily have to go through some elaborate training in order to leverage it and deploy it for mm-hmm. their work, much better, right? So so again, that's that's getting to that attention span. If you take too long for me to figure out how this is, I've lost interest. I'll find something else to use, right? Because there's going to be another tool out there that can understand how I need to grab my information, how I need to access my information. So perhaps it's not necessarily that we can't dive deep, but we're expecting technology to bridge that gap so I can dive deep without having to expend a tremendous amount of energy. I think that's another thing that could be very interesting. Right. Well, and, and I'm still looking forward to the point where I can just get a chip in the back of my neck. I know, right? Information. I, I, thinking, I want the matrix. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know everything as much as I possibly can. Right, I mean, and, right. and I know our brains are capable of actually probably handling that much information. We're just not able to, to kick in there. Exactly. So, <laughs> Again, I could, I could, I, I can probably spend a lot of time just digging into that and user behavior and user interfaces when it comes to technology. But I think what I what I'd like to start sharing is is how did you transition that background into a technology, especially in technology and academia um, role? So um, there, there are two facets to this. One, let me talk a little bit about a PhD and, and the ability to get to a PhD level, because at the, at the basic level, uh, that PhD really is a skill set that you learn. So it's, it's like an apprentice program where you're learning how to really analyze data, package data, present data. You're, you're really sitting at the forefront of assimilation of information, translation of that information, um, and, and being able to really be the advocate for that information. Okay, so so it doesn't really matter what your PhD is. Individuals spend years and years and years in order to cultivate that kind of expertise. Now, if we layer on top of it that my PhD is actually in neurophysiology, studying learning and memory mechanisms, now we can start to look at technology. So technology, yes, it's a bunch of zeros and ones, but I am not a technology guru and I would never profess to be one whatsoever, but I enjoy working with the IT teams. I really do, especially in academia. So taking a step from the bench science research where I was studying those, those learning and memory mechanisms at the basic science level, publishing those, enjoying the outcome of it and the advances that we could see within the scientific community. You could see some of that a few years later that gets translated into textbooks that students read, right? But you're not going to see an immediate translation. And I agree to that. Mm -hmm. But the part that really excited me about my work 
was those moments when I could be with a student and I could help a student have that aha moment where that student could feel science come alive for them, right? So I discovered that even though I was making these great advances in science, my my internal victory was really when I could help a student have that moment themselves. And so that's Mm. what really got me over into education. And I was teaching in the educational environment. It wasn't that far of a a stretch from, from my, um, from what I was doing at the bench. But then I got very interested in technology and, and I know it sounds almost a little bit disconnected, but if you imagine that the classroom environment is like the science lab and how, um, awesome the lab is or how um, how limited it is can really impact how effective you are at, at your job. So imagine my classroom is my, my laboratory. I wanted to ensure that my laboratory was really effectively designed so that I could really help my students be more effective. And, and I went to the president of the campus at the time and I started talking to him about, I need the technology within this space that allows me to do my job more effectively. And these are some of the things that I need. And I showed him some of the, the science literature behind it. And lo and behold, I ended up becoming the, the project lead on the development of our experiential classroom um, at the campus. So, so I was working with real estate and facilities on the development of a classroom. So that's what happens when you have an idea, have an idea, talk to somebody. If you don't get a response, talk to somebody else. So So, let me ask a question though, because you you actually said you went to the school president. Would you, um, if you didn't have that PhD, would you have been able to have that conversation? Um, I I think so. I think so. Um, I, I do believe in the community college environment, and the president at the time was someone that was extremely open, um, highly creative individual that believed in, in really helping to push the limits of what education could deliver. We had a highly supportive um, vice president of academic affairs at the time. She was 100% behind any of the developments. She, in fact, also um, was, was interested in what was going to happen in the classroom, right? So, so she, she wanted to see the outcome just as much as he did. So yeah, I, I don't believe it was a degree thing. I think it was very much we had a, a very supportive learning a leadership team that that really helped. Yeah, I, and I, I, I like a lot of it. Also goes to I think you, as you mentioned before, part of the, actually building that page is being able to actually aggregate information and be able to provide a you know a conclusion that you know it makes it easier for someone to to buy I think off. So. Of. Yeah. Palatable, right? Right. Exactly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna package my information. I'm gonna tell you my argument. And I'm going to tell you the reason why, and I'm going to give you the research to back it up. All right. And actually, which school were you working with? Tarrant County College. Gotcha. And that's that's in Fort Worth, basically. That right? is that's in the, Fort Worth, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. And that's a pretty big school. How many students does that have? Well, if you count the um, continuing education program that they have, it can be approximately eighty to 100,000 students. Wow. That's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of seats, right? That um, is. So, and I know as part of that work that you were doing, you actually started developing a pretty deep relationship with Microsoft. I did. I did. So, um, when, after the, the classroom environment development, I, I, I actually got even more interested in technology, right? The educational technology opportunities and the, um, Vice Chancellor for Information Technology at the time really saw the value in expanding what we were doing on one campus to a district-wide opportunity. And so um, a role was created. I applied for that role. I was lucky enough to be selected for that role as Director of Academic Technology. 
Um, and, and through that, I got a lot of exposure to several of the vendors that we had. Um, Microsoft was one of the vendors. And um, again, as a neuroscientist, I did my analysis. I was looking at the tools. I was looking at the user end of it. I was looking at your attention span. Again, I was looking at how many clicks it takes in order to get to the information. How easy is it for you to use it versus or, or without having to have some, some type of instruction reduce frustration, maximize benefit, right? Um, And then another thing that really started impacting me, especially having a son that has dyslexia, was looking at tools that could really deliver greater equity in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I became very deeply rooted in ensuring that we had an equitable educational environment for all students. And I discovered that through a lot of the Microsoft tools. So, um, it became a very, um, user-friendly, um, interface, um, for, for our institution, um, as well as many other institutions, um, because of that. But yes, it was that neurophysiology background that, that really helped me do an analysis of, of what, what could be brought and, and support the learning experience. Right. And, and, and as you all know, I mean, we, we do are very deep in terms of the, the, the e-discovery side of things. So, and, and, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you're working on now. I think, you know, you're working with us as, you know, as part of that in the director role on the academic side on helping us oversee, you know, projects like knowledge management and and technology strategy and, and things like that. Um, you've now recently been exposed to e-discovery. So I'm going to tie this back to all of my e-discovery wonky friends that are, that are going to listen to this podcast in terms of, this is something you've just recently been exposed to probably oh, yeah. in the last five, four or five oh, months. Yeah. So, and information governance is just in general. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, what are your, you know, as, as, as a, as a, as a, you know, as a doctoral, uh, as a, as a doctor of, 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 of science and behavior and, and things like that, I'd, I'd love to get your sense on what you've been, what you think about with the materials that you've been learning about information governance and e-discovery. So, so let me also explain um, this piece about research. So when you're working in a research laboratory and, and there's a reason for this, Jason, it's a, it's a total legitimate tangent, right? So when you're working in a research laboratory, you have to appreciate that that's a business in and of itself, right? You have budgets, you have um, employees, right? So you're going to have your your so you're going to have your fiscal out, your fiscal in, um, and you're having to also manage the expectations, the requirements of each individual within that laboratory. It requires also full transparency across the mm-hmm. board. It requires us to take disparate pieces of data, package them into information nuggets that we either use, store, or dispose of, right? Those pieces of information that help us build stories, key stories that we can publish on. It's not dissimilar to the information governance paradigm that we were actually discussing. And I felt almost a little bit of deja vu when I was reading a lot of the information about the information governance is even though a business entity may be a very large entity at at the basic level, that's what we're trying to get at, right? We're trying to take these disparate data pieces. We're trying to also understand in these larger corporations, how you could be doing similar things, but create great transparency, how you could maximize resources across the board and ensure that you have minimized your risks and compliance and security issues. It's a very similar conversation that I was having, but now we've put it into a different term, right? Now we're calling it information governance, whereas for us, it was just preparing the data for publication. 
So, and, and again, that's a level of transparency. So, so what I can say is I feel, I feel very much that, Hey, I've received that basic training in a very small level. Now I can take that information. We can put terms to what I was doing and I can actually help other people see the value of keeping themselves organized and prepared for what could come down the path. Right. And, and, and a lot of it is, is again, breaking big components into smaller components and then putting, being able to define it. How does this tie into knowledge management, being able to categorize? And and I think you mentioned a few things about just the behavior of capturing and understanding knowledge. What can you share with us in terms of ways to make that easier? Well, I think a lot of people have their own individual perspective of how they're going to name files, how they're going to organize files. So having a standardized taxonomy, one, reduces stress of the employee or the individual, i.e. me, right? You tell me how I need to organize files, how I need to name files, then I don't have to worry about it, right? It becomes easy. If then we have an an opportunity based on role-based situations where specific individuals can get access to that knowledge, we have it organized within a singular database. Again, I've reduced stress, I've maximized transparency. So that that piece of, of, of that nugget about knowledge management Having all of your data organized in an accessible fashion, packaged together with its native story pieces, right? So you can tell that effective story. You're at the forefront of having um, an information governance experience, right? Then you just have to consider what the compliance requirements are, um, measure the risk associated with different pieces of information, and ensure you've got it in a secure environment. So, you know, knowledge management is your foundation. It, it truly is your foundation, understanding what you have. Is it more valuable for you to have these disparate data pieces sitting around that you can't tap into when you actually need? Or is it better for you to have your information, true information, in a usable, accessible information so that other employees can be can be effective at their jobs? Right. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that we went through when we started going this was through the, the information governance reference model, which is part of the EDRM, the e-discovery reference model. Yeah. And I, I think you, you, I remember you reacted really positively. To oh, that. I loved so it. I, wanna, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. So just a big, big shout out. I know it's under um, a, a public assessment at this point in time. So, I, you know, please take a look at that. But I think what, you, what you're describing around knowledge management and the usage of information is really around the 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 value of information. How do you reuse yes. it? How do you benefit on it? And and then I think you know where you know I typically have always been involved in is actually on the flip side of that in terms of dealing with the risk side of things and the disposition in terms of how do you identify things that you don't need and getting rid of it if it's not required because it doesn't provide any business value and part of it is is you know I, I still work with clients every day especially in the Microsoft world now um, in M365 where people have just you know basically are on perma hold again um, mm-hmm. which is you know something that you know we, we try to avoid in the backup tapes days I think that's Personally, that for me, I think that's something that's going to be that we'll have to keep a really close eye on. Um, uh, as I agree. About. So I'm sorry, I, I, I digress. So um, tell me a little bit about what your plans are working with us. And, and this is our shameless plug time, um, working with us and being able to work with other academic institutions around um, information governance and knowledge. What are the things that you're seeing and, and what things that you want to uh, kind of talk to people about as you're going into that area? Well, I think we actually have an opportunity, right? If COVID didn't teach us anything, then that's a shame, right? Um, But a lot of the things that I personally learned, I hope other people learned, is that one, we have to be a lot more agile in the technologies that we leverage. 
Um, no one can predict what the future is going to be. So we need to be agile in where we are. But key to that is knowing the information and, and what you have. Turnover looks to be a reality, right? So can you can you retain that information? And how are you retaining that information? How can we as, as um, a vendor help you um, really help retain that information, retain that talent? So in my role, it's really to help work directly with the customers and identify what their their needs really are um, and to, to put those in a priority of of how how do we help serve serve your needs give give us the the priority of what's really going to impact your your organization whether you're a business um, a government agency right even academia right my my sweet spot academia um, but how do we package the information so that it's easier for you to use leverage um, and benefit you in in the long run so I I'm kind of serving in that that program management role that oversight of of how individual projects can get into alignment, um, how we can deliver um, sources or uh, resources to you, um, how we can um, maximize our projects to really leverage um, the best of what you have and what we have to offer. Awesome. That's really interesting. So, um, Carolyn, I just want to thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your journey. And um, I guess, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we kind of wrap up for the day? Um, I actually just encourage everyone to just enjoy the journey, right? We're, we're in a very exciting time right now and um, that being stagnant in where you are is, is not something that will help you to really move forward. I think what we need to do is embrace agility. It needs to be the term that we all use, right? Agility, flexibility, um, and work in partnership. And, and I'm actually very grateful to be aligned with um, an organization that can really help um, others benefit um, from that philosophy. Great. And how can people get a hold of you? Um, I am straight with Condado, caroline.hamilton at Condado, K-I-N-D-A-T-O dot com. Awesome. Thank you, Carolyn. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, please like and subscribe uh, if you've enjoyed uh, our conversation today. Um, we'll have some more very interesting conversations as we start broaching outside the e-discovery and information governance sphere and really looking at how, you know, looking at a lot of other things that kind of capture my attention. So again, thank you very much for joining us and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.